bum, 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 bum. <laughs> and that's the beginning, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, welcome back to Beard Time with Books. We have another holiday episode somehow. <laughs> somehow, this is how it keeps going down at Beard Time with Books. So, instead of mic check today, because it's St. Patrick's Day, we got to have a green check today. We're gonna we're gonna go around here and make sure everybody's got that. Uh, I do got a green shirt on right here, Jamie. I do. I took it off Put because it back I got hot, but I have a green cardigan under my butt. Nice that that'll work, Danny. No, <laughs> <laughs> it I'm is. A, I'm a over. Oh, None. (laughs) Danny is an O for none. I got no green. I don't know if I own green, honestly. I normally don't uh, do a lot for St. Patty's Day, but today we uh, do have a little bit of a festive addition to the episodes. We're going to go around and talk about what we're drinking, uh, introduce ourselves as well, because it has been a little bit. But uh, my name is Brian, and I'm drinking a Guinness. Uh, my name is Jamie, and I'm also drinking a Guinness in a special limited edition bottle, which is fun. It's got the little toucan on it. My name's Danny. Uh, for the record, I didn't get the green memo. <laughs> it, the whole world the got whole the world, green memo, yes. Danny. <laughs> I didn't get the green memo for the pod. I'm drinking a Boulevard weed. Danny hates Ireland. <laughs> I love Ireland. <laughs> Irish people are wonderful. No Guinness, no green. I no can Guinness, no green. drink a sip of Guinness. Nice. That'll count. Oh, and I did want to pose this question. I asked this uh, of Jamie when we were walking to uh, have lunch today. Does a green accessory count? Like if you're holding something, is that good enough? We saw somebody walking they had a green, with a green water yeah. bottle. But I don't think they were wearing any other green. I think you just have to be holding it at all times. Like you're eating your tacos, Fair. you got to be holding your water bottle. Yeah, you can't put <laughs> it down. You can't put it down. Or the pinches are going to come. So yeah, there you go. The we're doing a we're doing a St. Patrick's Day episode and uh there's no more fitting book than a classic. You guys uh, both green. have a green book. Oh, that, all oh, three of us have green books. Oh, there you go. There's your accessory. I'll just hold on to it the whole time. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll be looking at the family tree the whole time anyway. A classic <laughs> Colombian author. Uh of course we're going to look at that on St. Patrick's Day. It's, it's only fitting. <laughs> it's so fitting. It's only fitting. Uh but before we get into all of that as is tradition, we're going to go around and talk about some of the other media we've been consuming or other interesting things that have been going on in our lives just to uh, get the the conversation going. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, hi. I have been watching Queer Eye with Brian. Brian and I have both been watching the new season of Queer Eye that came out on Friday. Um, it's set in Kansas City. And we Ooh. live in Kansas City. It's so fun. It's so fun to watch all the B-roll of Kansas City. And they, like, go to the West Elm that's near my house. And Stop. so Oh, it's so good. Fun. It's so fun. I did not see them at any point while they were here. No. Um, but we could have. We could it have. Was, it would have been so easy. I saw too many people, like, that I peripherally know on Instagram post things like oh they're at messenger coffee here's a selfie and i'm like why didn't i get the memo <laughs> about needing to be at messenger this morning yeah i i know it's upsetting when I, I, I like seeing it all though it's like yeah. it's so interesting because you see a lot of other um like even documentaries or any you know non-fiction television and you see like cool shots of a city but you never think of what it'd be like to see your own but it's just like so nicely shot that you're just like they're making it look so good we love Kansas City (laughs) I love that it's fun um but yeah so I've cried a lot because Queer Eye makes me cry like immediately um that's that's where I'm at I'm waiting to watch Queer Eye with my partner who's long distance um we watch things together but not very often <laughs> so it takes us a long time and to it get did through just stuff. come out and it just came out but i'll be there next i'll be with him next weekend so we're gonna watch hopefully most of it um i've been watching a lot of the great british baking show um i just watched the fifth and sixth seasons um 
and it just like I told Jamie earlier it makes all of my other food in my house seem really inadequate and sad (laughs) yeah and it makes me want to just go out and buy all the ingredients (laughs) for like a delicious savory pie yeah i was on the phone with my mom because they had watched it before we had and i was just telling her like i wish that savory meat pies were more of a commonplace thing here because when i had studied abroad down in australia like they just sell them in convenience stores and they're amazing Mm -hmm. like even the the convenience store versions and everything else that we had like it's such a good snack or meal and it's not as common here like you I can was, definitely get it you but, can yeah. i was thinking today though like i mean i have to like seek it out i don't <laughs> mm-hmm. sitting at home today i was like i don't think that i could f- think of a place where i could just go and get like a save a great meat pie yeah other than like in chicken Olathe. pot pie yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. only but it's it's still different yeah, like it's, it's still different same. thing yeah yeah so all my food this weekend has felt inadequate um so i've been watching that i also just i'm almost finished with um the four episode series called salt fat acid heat um with yeah, I've chef been that, yeah. samin nasrat it's really great i really like it um it's less kind of about cooking and more about just like the most important elements of of cooking and um and recipes and um i like this last one especially because um she talks a lot about things that you should get when you go to the grocery store just like mm. staples you should have um and kind of like how to shop even if you don't have a recipe in mind um yeah. everything that all the elements you should include um so it's not like it's a recipe book of like very specific things you should always have on hand um but she's really she has a just such a, bub- a bubbly personality and she's a great um she's a great chef and she goes to all these different places uh and i really i'm on the last episode and i really enjoyed it it's, yeah it's good and for me, uh, as Jamie had mentioned, uh, we've been watching Queer Eye, which has been really fun. Uh, also, as far as video games are concerned, there's been a Battle Royale craze. Uh, like, Fortnite is the most famous one, but I've found one that's a Battle Royale. So, for anybody that doesn't know, Battle Royale is, like, last one standing. There's usually, like, 100 or 60 players, and then you do whatever the competition is to go down to one. I found one that's Tetris. It's a Tetris Battle Royale. So for some reason, I have been playing a lot of Tetris. There's been a lot of Tetris. And the thing is, I used to play Tetris a ton when I was a kid because my mom... (laughs) Yes, they do that. They have that, and it gets faster and faster. But uh, Oh, it's so good. uh, it's, It's a lot of fun, but my mom, when we would go to Colorado every summer, would get us, like, things in the car, like, you know, a cd back in the day for the walkman of like hey here's the spider-man soundtrack like listen to that uh one one year she gave my sister miss pac-man like it's its own standalone handheld game gave me tetris oh man and and i played that forever so did my dad so we'd always try to one-up each other so like i've i'm decently good but playing against other people like in a battle royale setting is just insane like, How do you play ins- Tetris against someone? Like, if you clear blocks, you send junk to other people's screens, and you can oh. kind of, like, choose who to send it to. And so then once somebody's screen fills up, they're out of the game. And so you're just trying to last the longest okay. and clear out your blocks. So you're all just playing Tetris. Yes, yeah. but, but, you, but there is obstacles. some interaction. So, yeah, that's, that's cool. It's pretty interesting. And, like, it's such a unique battle royale because a lot of them are, like, shooters, but it's just, like, Tetris. That's cool. Which is really... What, I, I love it. On what medium? Uh, it's on the Switch, Nintendo Switch. Yeah, so I've just been doing Sponsored a lot of that. <laughs> it, it's so, like, Tetris, I think I read an article about it a few years ago, how, like, there is some aspect of Tetris that, like, gives your brain some relaxation because of, like, the perfectness of fitting blocks into it. So it can be, like, a big relaxation thing, even if it's a stressful game. So that's been fun. Uh, and then... Speaking of all the Netflix stuff here, uh, an interesting thing is we, you know, we've been reading this book for uh, a couple of months because uh, today's episode is on 100 Years of Solitude. Netflix just announced that uh, they're going to have a series adaptation of this book. So, so timely. That was awesome. Just to get <laughs> Which, that. I still don't understand how that's going to Oh, happen, I know. But... And we'll get into all of that uh, in our discussions. I'm already of the book. overwhelmed. <laughs> but I think that's cool. Like, could uh 
good stuff that you know we're getting a jump start on that and we don't have to be like yeah i want to read that before it comes out like we're already halfway done so uh, we we better do it then so uh with all that being said uh we're gonna dive right into our discussion this week of 100 years of solitude and so uh, i've led a discussion now jamie has led a discussion now and for today's episode we are passing it on over to danny hey (laughs) Um, I'll start with a summary. Um, Good luck on that. Also, Also, I will note that we're 200 pages into this book. So many things have happened. Um, I honestly don't know how 200 more pages of stuff is going to happen. Yes. With like we have the family tree. So a lot of these, uh, just so everybody is aware, like our editions kind of the pages synced up as far as page number so we are about a little past 200 and like 201 or something 203 for me so on the family tree we're already like more than three-fourths of the way down so right so, so the the whole rest of the basically there's like three generations listed four one two three four generations listed five five right one a lot of summaries say two, seven total. Three. That's it's too many. There's a lot. Six. How <laughs> <laughs> do you read a family tree? I don't know. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, so there's six generations on the family tree, um, and we're mm, two thirds of the way down, and so much has happened already. Um, I, <laughs> the the, the book is written in such a way that I feel like it could just end now and I would be like all right yeah. that was a decent that was a profile of this family yeah a lot has been going down um so the book is a profile kind of of um both the history of a fictional town uh in South America called Macondo um and it's also a, a profile of the founders of the town the Buendia family um <clears throat> The patriarch of the family um, is Jose Arcadio Buendia, um, and his wife uh, and, I believe, first cousin yes, um, <laughs> is Ursula um, Iguaran, and um, this will come back a million times, but they're, they're cousins, uh, and she is afraid of marrying him um, because she's afraid that her kids will be born with pig's tails, yep. and that comes back a lot surprisingly often (laughs) in this book um and so it's it's just yeah it's just a profile um it doesn't really follow a regular timeline it doesn't really follow any kind of chronology it just goes back and forth um between um there's a civil war that happens and then there's the the founding of the town uh which is how the book kind of starts and then it just goes back and forth um and so for me, it was hard to keep track of things. Um, I I would safely assume that a lot of people find find it a little bit hard to keep track of things, um, just because it, it jumps around so often. Um, and then an, and then another another confusing element is that basically um, the author gives everybody in the book one of like the following names <laughs> for the men it's jose arcadio or aureliano and for the women it's ursula amaranta or remedios um there are a few others but basically a, lo- a lot of the characters have those names some variation on there's variation yeah. um there's some people have only jose arcadio some people have only arcadio mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so that was i mean that's very obviously intentional um and that just adds an element of confusion but also um it adds an element kind of 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 it it contributes to like kind of the the murkiness of the whole like you're not sure when it takes place sometimes you don't know um right away who which character he's talking about um, because a lot of the characters share um, who share names also share character traits. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's really hard to tell uh, who he's talking about and what the timing is. Um, so essentially, Jose Arcadio, Buendia, the patriarch, uh, is kind of... Um, he's, he's interested in science. He's interested in like innovating. Um, and he's really curious and just kind of wants to experiment Um he kind of just follows one scientific quest after another, but his his wife Ursula um, is much more practical and kind of just like 
she kind of just reins him in the whole time uh, and is trying to get him to kind of, I don't know, focus. She reminds me of like maybe someone who would like you snap in like the face of a dog to get him to focus. That's <laughs> yeah. kind of how she, re- she kind of is to just everybody. like, hey, focus. That's... Yeah, to everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Jose Arcadio Buendia and Ursula have three kids, um, Aureliano Buendia, Jose Arcadio, and Amaranta. Um I'm going to I'm going to not verbalize the whole family tree. Yeah, we can we'll talk about it. <laughs> so, I'm going to I'm going to stop there on the family tree. Um Let me just take out my notes. <laughs> Hold on. Um the first, okay, the first question the first, I don't know, thing that I want to discuss um is the the usage of so many of the same names and also like the personality traits that they carry. Um it wasn't immediately obvious to me that a lot of the characters with the same names um share personality traits and i i read about that when i was doing a little research and i just wondered if if to both of you if that was something that stuck out immediately um for me i just it was hard for me to even trace who we were talking about at times um but you know supposedly the the jose arcadios are are strong and then the Aurelianos are more like pensive and introspective. Um, so yeah, I wondered if either of you, if that was apparent to either of you, I would say at the beginning it wasn't, um, especially because it it was hard to get a sense of that obviously at the beginning because of a lot of the jumps and, and you kind of knew of the existence of some of these characters, but it wasn't always fleshed out because it was kind of just like in passing. Oh, and this kid's going to get born. Uh, right, to this, this person father. in like 20 years is going Yeah, be. and then it kind of goes back to whatever the present currently is. And so uh, it, it didn't really stick out too much, but I did really enjoy uh, one of the later chapters in, in my edition and maybe a lot of editions. I don't know how many uh, are, are that synced up with the page numbers, but page 181 for me, uh, I liked that Ursula kind of acknowledged it and, and through, uh, you know, it, it kind of felt like a meta discussion mm-hmm. uh, of like, here's why this is kind of going down and kind of like really spelling it out. But it's uh, Ursula, on the other hand, when when they're talking about a, a new child getting born named Jose Arcadio, uh, Ursula, on the other hand, could could not conceal a vague feeling of doubt throughout the long history of the family. The insistent repetition of names had made her draw some conclusions that seemed to be certain. And then it goes on and says, while the uh, Aurelianos were withdrawn, but with lucid minds, the Jose Arcadios were impulsive and enterprising, but they were marked with a tragic sign. And so uh, I I liked that it did kind of spell that out and it, it it kind of helped create some order to the chaos Mm -hmm. of the family tree uh, even though this chapter starts going into later versions of these children that are twins, uh, which would be <laughs> Jose Arcadio Segundo and Aureliano, Aureliano Segundo, that they kind of had those traits mix and match. Um, it still does semi-hold true. But I, I, I like that that was the case. But no, I don't think that it was that clear at the beginning. But it, it did help uh, – make more sense of why the family tree is built in the way that it is and centering it on, you know, the hereditary nature of the story, just because it does focus on the Buendia family so much, just to see how those traits are passed down and how, uh, you know, a lot of times it'll be like such and such their kid has, you know, this trait, the fact that it's tied to the names was really cool to me. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was going to bring up a similar point, and I don't know if it's before or after. I want to say it's before. Yeah, let's clarify this, because uh, this is out, uh, the first time that this has happened, uh, that somebody has read a book that we're looking oh, at before. Yeah, we should, yeah we should clarify I was going to talk about that. Um, this point wasn't related to that. It's in this section. But it, it's sure. worth to, to But yeah, out. no. Um, so I... I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but I have already read 100 Years of Solitude, and I'm rereading it for the podcast uh, for these episodes. Um, an addendum to that is I read I read 100 Years of Solitude for a class that I took in college. It was my senior year, fall semester of college, um, and the class was focused on post-colonial literature, and um, 
I would love to say that that background gives me some kind <laughs> of like greater understanding of this no- of this novel. Um, but in all honesty, that was a semester class where we read 100 Years of Solitude, Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie, which is about the same length and about just as complicated. Uh, White Sargasso Sea, Jane Eyre, and a theory book on post-colonial writing. I think that's it. There might have been something else in there. But it was a lot of reading for a semester of class. Um, like, it's it's not that many books for an English class in college, but, like, they were all pretty long other than Wide Sargasso Sea, which is really short. Um, but we had to read that with Jane Eyre because they're related. Uh, so, in all of that, I read 100 Years of Solitude. Um, I didn't write a paper over it because we got to choose which books of those we wanted to write about, and I didn't feel like I understood this one as well as some of the others. Which is Same. fair. After yeah. So, like, I didn't feel comfortable trying to find, like, evidence in this novel when it, there's so much going on. Um, so I can't say that I have a great perspective. That's fair, but it's I, just worth to have the backdrop yeah, before getting into say, any of the I discussions do, on it. I think that I go into it this second reading with a different point of view, maybe, than, like, a casual reader because I read it under the guise of, like, post-colonial theory so there's a lot of that like what he's commenting on that I like we had discussions about and lectures and so like I feel like maybe I have a different view of it anyways all of that to say yeah sorry for the names for the (laughs) names um I definitely didn't acknowledge that there was some connection the first time I read it um, but in this section, when I was rereading it, there was a section where Ursula, again, like, m- in a metacognitive way, acknowledged the thread um, of the names. And I can't remember if it's before or after that point. I want to say it's before it. I but she says, she says that she won't allow any more children to be named Jose Arcadio or Orleano. Yeah, I do recall it. Yeah. Um, because she feels like they're like cursed, and then the next... she has a big lamentation about all of the male, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, family members because she's just like they all end up. They like die sucking. or they hate her or they do something bad, whatever. So then another son comes along, and the the mom or dad or whoever is like, I'm gonna name him. Blood, blood, and she's like, "Well, I guess so, but I'm gonna raise him." Yeah, as if that yeah. hasn't caused issues before. Yeah. Right? Um, you've raised all of them. Yeah, like re- literally, you did this. Um, no, I'm not woman blaming, but <laughs> also in relation to that, the one piece of evidence from that class that I took in college that I do have on my computer. Again, I didn't write a paper about this <laughs> book, but I compared a different book to this book in one sentence and this is what i said it's citing evidence from like an article that i read but it says um i'm talking about uh brief wonders life of oscar wow by juno diaz in this paper and i say the interwoven multi-generational narrative of diaz's novel is undoubtedly reminiscent of gabriel garcia marquez's classic 100 years of solitude with successive generations, each ignorant of the history of its ancestors seemed doomed to relive the violence and evil wrought by the family's curse. So I think that like that is definitely a theme throughout it. I can't say that I acknowledged that the first time, but <laughs> that's all that. Anyways. No, yeah, I, I think it's the name thing really is... Like, I I expect it to be as prevalent throughout the rest of the book as it is now. Um, And I also remember there was one point where one of the sons had a daughter, I think, and said he wanted to name her after her grandmother. And then they all say, oh, no, that must have been... He died. I think then he dies. And then they all say, oh, no, no, that was a mistake. It couldn't have been... He couldn't have wanted to name her. I think it was Ursula. Yeah. Well, the beautiful moment about that part, and I don't think that I don't have the page number on me, but he says it's because it's Arcadio. Arcadio's Arcadio, like in front of the firing squad. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Is like, yes. Oh, name the daughter Ursula, mm-hmm. and then it has like 
his thoughts a few minutes later. <laughs> I he's love like, that. He's like, oh, wait. I should have told them Remedios <laughs> yeah. because why would I do why that? Why would I want? Yeah. And then the next few pages, that they the whole yeah, family is like, like eh, we'll name her Remedios. Yeah, they're like, I surely, don't know. Surely, surely he didn't, he didn't name mean. name her Ursula, which is just like a huge like screw uh, you to the matriarch of the family. Yeah, also, I still love Ursula that. Ursula is funny. like the only one who's trying to keep shit together. So that's great. This brings me to my next question. <laughs> this was really interesting. So. I think probably because um, he's presented as the patriarch and also he's so he's so present. Um, I was kind of surrounding the first half of the story around Jose Arcadio Buendia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then I, I was doing some research and um, I came across one of those like um, it, it's kind of like a character map where they they um, they connect everybody in circles. Yeah. And then they like the bigger your influence and the more people that you're connected to, the bigger your circle. Mm. Yeah. So That's I cool. was like so interested in this because I was like, oh, like obviously in the middle is going to be our Jose Arcadio. And it was Ursula was in the very middle. And I, and I was like, oh, I, after that, I was like, I, I totally saw how she actually is like, she's like intricately woven into mm-hmm. everybody. Um, and Jose Arcadio eventually is just like tied to a tree speaking Latin, yeah. like literally. literally. Yeah, because she's just around though. Because even even where we're leading off here, because you know, I was I was talking about how far along we are mm-hmm. on the family tree, and Ursula's still there, and it does specifically mention in one of the last couple chapters that she's now a hundred. She's so, yeah, or she over a hundred. She yeah. says she's so old, and she's done so much in her life that she, she forgets how old she is. She doesn't mm-hmm. even know how old she is. Yeah. I mean, it, it says she's around a hundred, but she doesn't remember how old. She yeah, is. and so that that does make sense about her influence because, like, because by this point, uh, spoiler alert, if anybody hasn't gotten this far, but uh, Jose Arcadio Buendia dies, and, right. and she's still there, and yeah. more children have been born, and obviously, as we've mentioned, she is still choosing to take care of them, even though at this point. I think it was saying that she's practically blind or completely yeah, blind at this point like in time. So she just she, wants her influence. Yeah, she's still there and she's still, you know, influencing the kids. So that was that was interesting. I wanted to ask, like, I think this is super subjective. Um, if you guys had to pick, maybe this is two different questions. If you guys had to pick a main character, <laughs> uh, who would you pick? And along with that, um, who's the hero in the first half? I have an opinion about main character, Go. at least at this point in the novel. And again, yeah. this is not tainted by the fact that I've read it before because I don't remember what happens. <laughs> um, Good. But Hearing that up. <laughs> I think that my argument at this point would be Orleano Buendia, mm-hmm. Colonel Orleano Buendia as the main character because so often, I mean, the first sentence, which also is one of my favorite first sentences ever in literature. Read it. Uh, says, many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Orleano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. Like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so good. That's on our first sentences mug. It is. We, we have, have famous mug. first sentences of literature. Famous and that's on first there. sentences. Um, but it's so good. It's such a weird sentence. It's so perfect. But I think starting off with him Very and then jarring. also the fact that like constantly throughout the novel that same phrase is basically repeated like Mm -hmm. it always says years later when he faced the firing squad he he thought about this other thing like it's like he literally thought about his entire goddamn life while he's in front of the firing squad so it's mentioned all the time yeah um which i think that thread throughout makes him a main character or the main character um but I also think that Ursula is such like a force in the novel that she could be a contender. I wouldn't say that she, in my opinion, would be the main character just because she does play the supporting role. Because a lot of hers is just like, you know, kind of shaping the events around other people in her family. Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of hers is reactions to other people. As we've mentioned, that a lot of her... Uh, motives happen when somebody else is born and she wants to step in rather than with a lot of the other male characters of the novel who go and do things regardless how of how good or bad those things are. They're all doing things semi-independently and she has moments of that too but a lot of it is in reaction to others. But I agree that she still is like a huge force mm-hmm. in that way. But 
But I think that you could also argue that that kind of makes her a main character. Like yeah. she's, we're almost viewing the things through her, like because we see her react to all of them. And yeah, so, that's, like, that's true. Such... I think her reaction. We, see, I think, more than a lot of other people, we see her react to every to a lot of things that happen yeah. to her, which kids is almost and like her daughters and her sons, and like her. the narrator of a novel. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you are getting her thoughts on everything throughout it. Right. Yeah, even though she's not, she's not the narrator. She's definitely there's no. Yeah, yeah, but I will say, as far as main character, uh, I I agree with Colonel uh, Arliana Buendia because of uh, the, the reasons that you mentioned, and there's been discussions I've had in you know academic settings and with other people about the importance of first lines of literature and how you know what what's the word i'm looking for how intentional mm-hmm. a lot of the first lines in literature are because you know you know that that's what everyone's going to read automatically yeah and so there is a lot put into that first sentence and and like you said he is the first one mentioned uh, and he does come back over and over and with all the other characters as much as Ursula pops in and out. So does he mm-hmm. not only with his physical presence, but with the aura, with the legend of Arliana Windia, because, you know, a lot of the stuff we find out might not even be true, but he's still present in some sort of way. Yeah, I also think it's important to note with him another reason that he would maybe be important or maybe argue him as the main character the mo- the majority of this book the the book is revolved around the founding of this town uh macondo and orleano is the first one to be born in yes. macondo yes. so like I, he's born with the town and we're kind of following both of their trajectories i i will say this though to your second point danny with the question of who's the hero oh, yeah i don't know that I would consider him the hero, though, yeah. mm. regardless of his no. standing as a main character. Like you bring that up and, you, you know, you get to thinking about a lot of the, the people in this family. And this is always uh, a thing within novels. I assume that everybody that gets brought in is generally going to be, you know, the protagonist or a good person. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's the case for most people of the family which was a surprising thing to continue to go along and see that there were moments of innocence and you know there was a lot of great stuff that many members of this family have done for their town and for the surrounding area for the world in some cases because some of them have been traveling around you know there's still a lot that kind of makes you do a double take on their character and you're like wait a second you know maybe their intentions aren't always as pure with maybe some uh, exceptions, but I haven't read along far enough to know because they do bring it up with like Remedios, the beauty, how she does have some purity, but with some other detractions to that, but Mm -hmm. there's more to read. So I don't know that I would consider him the hero, but yes, maybe the main character. Yeah, I don't know that there is a hero. I, no, I was just yeah. going to say that. I don't know that there is a hero. I thought that was in, it, this. It popped up on a list of essay questions <laughs> that I found, and I thought that was really interesting because, um, I mean, if you wanted to like pick one and try to argue, uh, you maybe could, but I don't. Nobody stick like nobody sticks out as having heroic, like heroic characteristics, and I don't really think that's the point. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's more of like I said, like a profile. It makes me think of like like. Like a ha- like a house with a bunch of windows, and every once in a while, you're just like you're turning on a light in each room, and like you're just looking into each room of the house on like what's happening in that character in a particular moment, and sometimes quite literally and <laughs> within literally within their in house, on yeah. an aunt and her nephew in a room. <laughs> Spoiler: we, we won't say what's going on in that room. But. Um, but yeah, I don't think like I don't really think that it's there. There's a po- like I don't think that having a hero is is the point. Um, it's more just kind of like a telling of like this, um, of this town. I think maybe, yeah, I don't know. Jose Arcadio Buendia founded the town, but I don't think that makes him heroic. Well, Um, even the circumstances around him needing to do that in the first place, he straight up killed somebody. Right, he killed someone and was like, I'm out of here. He's like, I I gotta go. I gotta go. This ghost is bothering me. So he killed somebody because, uh... 
he was like he was oh sorry he was being made fun of um he was being mocked by like people because his wife wouldn't sleep with him because she was afraid that their kids would have pig's tails yeah and so his masculinity toxic masculinity ruins the party again <laughs> um so his he's threatened that's the name of the episode <laughs> <laughs> we found it. summary of the book and i mean honestly i wrote masculinity as threatened many times um yeah i think i oh i did i wrote toxic masculinity <laughs> right next to he said is that a question mark though <laughs> there's um, no question mark <laughs> toxic masculine he said but there will be no more killings in this town because of you yeah which like so sorry <laughs> he's he's literally just like i killed that man because you won't fucking sleep because with you me. won't sleep with me it's your fault oh so that's there <laughs> that is there I'm trying to think about I don't think I have anything else about heroes or main characters I will agree with you about um, Colonel Aureliano Buendia being probably the the main character that makes the most sense um, I think up until I think for the first like quarter of the book I would have said it was Jose Arcadio Buendia um, yeah because he's I mean he's the one who kills the person founds the town founds the town um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know he's con- like it just it focuses a lot on him constantly like exploring and innovating and like inventing stuff and kind of just like being weird um, and um, I also found it really this is a random aside but I found it really humorous that they thought that he was going crazy and had some sort of like mental health issues and then later a priest comes in and is like no no he's just speaking Latin yeah. <laughs> like he's not crazy he's not speaking in tongues he's just speaking Latin it's a real language that's just talking to himself he's just talking it's fine um but uh, an interesting thing about that, though, with with some of the stuff that he is saying to nobody in particular, uh, that idea gets brought up again. Uh, who was it with? It was with one of the Aurelianos. I think it's the Segundo. Yeah. Is it Jose Acardio Segundo? Or I think it is because. Right. What's the question? So, well, <laughs> it, it just brings it up. It, it is one of the twins, for sure. Yeah. That they're in the workshop, and they give a direct tie-in to them seeing ghosts, specifically oh. of... Yeah, Mel- uh, Melchides. Melchides. Melchides, and that they did tie it, if I recall correctly, yeah. back to Jose Arcadio Buendia. Yeah, Ursula, I think it's Ursula comes in, and he's talking to the ghost of Melchides. Right, okay. And um, she's like, "What? who were you talking to? What were you saying? And he was like, oh, no, I'm like brushing it off, not wanting to tell her. And then she goes on this rant of like, oh, your grandfather, great-grandfather mm-hmm. used to talk to himself, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he used to do that in his workshop all the time. So that that's interesting, just tying it into that, just now that that was brought up. I, I just thought that, uh, you know, in, in looking at his character, that that was yeah. an interesting trait later well, on. But. I think that that carries through the, like, the maybe, I don't know, the cycle um, of, of his great, is it great, grandson or his great-grandson talking to um, a ghost we know about, but, like, Jose Arcadio Buendia could have been speaking Latin to a ghost we don't know about or mm-hmm. like you know yeah. a, someone and like that just makes it makes it feel very cyclical to me like yeah. where, I, we don't know where and the ghost he does started talk to, if Jose was first or if well, the ghost was first he does talk to the ghost he does he does of the guy he killed right yeah um, Prudencio mm-hmm. he talks to Prudencio uh, Aguilar mm-hmm. and he keeps being like dude like just go I'm sorry like <laughs> <laughs> Just be in peace now. My wife peace. made me kill you. I it's it's Ursula's fault. It wasn't you. It wasn't it was her. It was her. It was not me though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I did not. It's not my fault. Um Alright, I have one la maybe not last, but I have one uh one more question kind of related to um related to the theme of like the town. I kept reading a lot. I'm sure you guys came across this too. I kept reading a lot about how this is um, an allegory for 
like Adam and Eve and the fall and like in the Bible. Um, and uh, I wondered if, I don't know, I, I felt kind of like we would be, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about all of the parallels that you can draw. Um, and I wondered which ones stuck out to you. I was curious. Um, I have a few that I jotted down, but I wondered if you guys had any uh, any parallels to draw between sort of like the Garden of Eden story and Macondo. Well, the first one off the bat, and I had I might have missed that conversation about the tie in there, but I think one of the ones that does stand out that maybe isn't directly a tie, but the the same general idea is there is the aspect of punishment for forbidden acts, mm-hmm. because that, as you mentioned from the beginning, Ursula brings up with a, a lot of it is with you know, incestual relationships mm-hmm. and the pigtails. Uh, and there are, I believe, some other instances of that as well. But when somebody is doing something that is against the grain or against what society sees as normal or, or anything else, that idea is brought up that there's going to be some punishment in some way. Uh and, and I think that, that that's huge for a lot of it because I think that there maybe could be uh, some reason as to why there are problems with the family down the line because of that relationship. Obviously, it was on Ursula's mind that, you know, her and Jose Arcadio Wendia are related. And then that could be a trickle down effect from mm-hmm. there from this forbidden, quote unquote, forbidden relationship, however you view it, that you know, that did cause problems for generations and generations to come. So that, that one was always really interesting because again, the pigtails idea comes back over and over because a lot of the family continues to fall into these, uh, forbidden actions moving forward. Yeah. Um, I have kind of a tie. Go for it. I have, I have, you want me to list mine first? Go for it. So, I mean, so I found this was both mine and also like a, kind of just like a generic list I found when I was doing a little bit of research but um the first one that they draw is between Jose Arcadio Buendia and um both Adam and Eve and their search their thirst and search for knowledge like he Mm. just generally like is searching for knowledge and then not directly tied but they're eventually banished from the Garden of Eden and have to go elsewhere because Mm -hmm. they you know find the knowledge and then also (laughs) the tree of knowledge um there's a tie there into him being tied to a tree um for you know he's he goes insane and eventually they just literally tie him to a tree i thought that was temporary Mm -hmm. and i okay (laughs) and then he just is there for a long time here's a question that i have because i had a note about this in my book from when i read this the first time Mm -hmm. and i couldn't remember what it was talking about (laughs) but i specifically like when he goes out to the tree it's a chestnut tree i think right um, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And specifically for multiple pages, every single time it was mentioned, I circled the word chestnut. <laughs> and I think maybe it's a biblical reference that I, that's why I circled it. But I didn't know if anybody else knew. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to. We'll have. I'll, I want to bookmark that for next time because yeah. I don't know. I'm sure it matters, but I don't know like if it's a because biblical reference. I know I circled it for a reason. Yeah. But I don't remember because I didn't really write a note. It was just like chestnut, mm-hmm. chestnut, chestnut. Well, and also they say it a lot, so it yeah. clearly matters. Yeah. Um, I mean, he wouldn't say it over and over. I just don't know the Bible well again. enough to know if that's like a thing. <laughs> I only know about mustard seeds. Okay. I it's not a mustard. <laughs> it's not a mustard tree. <laughs> I mean, it could Fine. be just the tie of like a uh, a tree that bears something yeah and it could mm-hmm. be as simple as that but but maybe there is more to it but no i'll have to we'll have to look into that but in I'm but in you in. mentioning that you know there have been other discussions about those ties mm-hmm. that you know something as simple as that can't necessarily be overlooked like even if it is as simple as that it's just right. tying it to without being so heavy-handed about it mm-hmm um, the thing that I was going to talk about is kind of related. I don't know. Because I didn't... When I read this the first time, like I said, it was under the um, the guise of 
not guys it was under the influence of like a post-colonial theory literature course which this very much is like a staple of post-colonialism i am in no way saying that you shouldn't always read this book that way but that is the background knowledge that i have so i feel like i looked at it less in a biblical way like that there's references and i'm sure we talked about them in class but something that i think is related because of religious imagery but maybe you guys can help me think about it but also i just want to talk about this is the insomnia plague oh yeah Um, go do it i want to talk about the insomnia plague so yeah summarize it and then (laughs) talk about it because this was a really interesting part for me too yeah so it's in chapter three and it's one of my favorite parts of this book it is the part that like stuck out in my brain after i read this i remembered this very vividly um even being years later um, but essentially, in the town of Macondo, there's lots of stuff going on. Um, Jose Ocardio <laughs> Buendia is really interested in the gypsies that come to town because they bring new inventions. Um, and then also there's like other people circling in and out because they've got this cool new stuff in the town. But the and gypsies brought ice. The gypsies brought ice. <laughs> they discovered it. Um, and one day... This is related. But one day, a girl called Rebecca shows up, and she's kind of adopted by the family. Uh, and her Weird-ass homeless girl. <laughs> yeah, her background is, like, not immediately understood, um, but she's, like, some orphan. I think they say maybe she's an Indian orphan. Yeah, I think, what they call I her. think that they call her an Indian orphan. Um, and she's weird, and she eats mud. And, and like and whitewash. Yeah. Oh, whitewash. Is that what that is? That's what, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But she's really weird and eats stuff. And then she gets sick. Um, She's the first one that gets sick, as far as I'm aware. Uh, And they call it the insomnia plague. But it came through, like, a loss of memory. They couldn't sleep and would start losing memories from their childhood and from other things and it keeps getting it like keeps getting worse and worse at first like jose ocardio buendia laughs at it and is like ah whatever superstition it's the indians blah um but then it keeps getting worse and worse and basically the whole town becomes affected by this to the point where they have to write themselves notes all over the town uh to remind them why things are important it was the most chilling um to read that sentence when it says they did not become alarmed until the third day when no one felt sleepy at bedtime and they realized that they had gone more than 50 hours without sleeping and i was like <laughs> oh god like oh no I, oh, guys the, hold on a second hold on a second it's been a bit hasn't <laughs> the part that always gets me for me is on page 47 and this is the thing that stuck in my brain for so long is um they're talking about like how bad it's getting and they're writing all these notes and they say thus they went on living in a reality that was slipping away Um, And a few lines after that say that um, at the beginning of the road into the swamp, they put up a sign that said Macondo and another larger one on the main street that said God exists. And just like that is such a like they're trying to remind themselves that that is a thing they believe. But also they get to a point where they don't know what that means, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me. And when when I read this in my class we talked a lot about how this whole chapter essentially is just a an allegory for the ideas of colonialism because they they are this small little town with their own traditions and their own ideals and suddenly people start coming in because there's stuff to see there um like indians and gypsies and all these different things strangers keep coming into town and they have to ring a bell to say that they're a stranger um And I just remember we talked a lot about how, like, the insomnia sickness is a metaphor for how cultures start to lose things when strangers come in. Like, they start Mm. to forget what their original life was like because they're discovering new things. Um, And there's a lot of layers to that. But I think that that could be related also to the Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. idea of, like, an outside party comes in and tells you, hey, you could do this. Right. What, what about this? And then it gets so bad that they literally have to remind, they have to write it down to remind themselves that God exists. And it's like, maybe you can adapt and maybe it's okay. Maybe you shouldn't have to write it down and remind yourself if you can't actually remember it on your own. Yeah. 
Because there's also, like, I think a page before that, it says, there was so much to do in Macondo in those days that there was barely enough time. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's so much going on because all these different people are coming in and bringing new things and discovering new things um, from different lands that suddenly they're like, we got all this stuff to do, and oh, shit, what what did we do before? Yeah, and like, what, what do we do? What do we believe? <laughs> what's What are our ideals? Like, what do we... Mm. I love that. Anyways, that's that's my thought. Well, even looking at it with both ways, because it could be like, oh, well, maybe it is okay to adapt on one side of things. You know, there is also still the uh, side of it that's looking at, hey, this might have been ruined. Like, it would have been perfect if we were talking about, like, an Adam and Eve situation where outside influences were brought in and literally they were taken from a promised eternal paradise Mm -hmm. and had you know problems thereafter like that's a similar idea there that it was problematic and maybe not as much of a commentary of like well if you can't remember it it's not too bad you can adapt to like it can be read both ways but like it is you know something to think about the intention of that too because in a lot of ways when you we first hear about Macondo, it's in a very picturesque way, and a lot of their uh, established ways seem fine at the beginning. Because even with the kids before they grew into adults, you know they were discovering ice, and you know the, the worst thing that happened was Jose Arcadio Buendia was too curious, mm-hmm. and then things start to kind of rapidly spiral out of control from there but i i I did love that part because it does stick out in your mind and obviously there are layers to it but that that is one of the things that was really engrossing because uh it it was it seemed that it didn't jump around as much because there was a lot of focus on that event at that time as opposed to time jumping it seemed like it stayed in one place for a while yeah i I think that's one of the um one of the events in the book that like is focused on without jumping around mm-hmm. for like the longest mm-hmm. um so i mean it really it definitely like kept my attention and i mean just ha- them having to like label things i just was imagining like a whole town like walking around sticking index cards on cows <laughs> labeled cow and writing on their whole house and like yeah and writing and having to label everything because they were so afraid yeah um yeah that was a that was a super interesting, super um, engaging uh, part for me. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that there is a lot there. There is a lot more to read as well. So it might be a good time for some final thoughts uh, just to see where, you know, we're, we're curious about where the book's going to go, what what the thoughts were currently, um, if, if anybody wants to start with that. J- just because obviously there's like so much more for us to discover moving forward because this book has... <laughs> this all happened in one half of a book. Like we're well, talking about something that sounds pages. like it's, and we didn't get to a lot, and we didn't get to a lot yeah. of it. <laughs> there are like thirty-five other things but, that but, I had. But yeah, just curious on like thoughts so far and thoughts moving forward. I suppose. Yeah, I guess I just I don't. I'm so curious where it's going to go and what else. We have two hundred pages left or more, um, and I, I just I want to know. If there, if you know, if there's more of a focus on one event, um, that there was a, a civil war that happened in this whole first half that we didn't even talk about, yeah, um, that made its way through, but was still not a centerpiece. And I wonder if um, there's something in the second half um, that that is an event that you know brings everything together or focuses everything on. Um, we talked earlier about how um, in a non Game of Thrones esque fashion. Uh, there are a lot of characters, but like nobody really has died. <laughs> some people have died, um, but then also some of them come back even after they die, mm-hmm. uh, or they haven't really died. Um, so there's there's a lot to keep track of, um, and I'm curious if we're going to keep adding or if people are going to kind of fall by the wayside. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, for me, what I think will be interesting moving forward is the fact that there is so much time jumping which is something that i i personally love like there's a lot of stories that have a non-linear timeline uh, there's actually a video on on this channel about that from <laughs> maybe a year and a half ago that i talked about some notable books that i liked with non-linear timelines uh, slaughterhouse five was one of the notable examples there but 
the fact that we're we've already heard about some events that we haven't technically read yet uh and you know what's going to be the culmination of the story and have we heard it already because when i first started the book you know we talked about that incredible first sentence i thought the book was going to end with the firing squad but we already saw it that's the thing is we already saw that and there are other events that have been brought up there are still uh, some a, a couple more generations that need to really come into their own in this story uh, but i think the the main thing that's going to drive me forward is is seeing how it is going to end and and how it ties to what we've heard before because you know there's kind of times where authors can write themselves into corners when they reveal too much and it seems that it it has to move in a certain direction where it could be cliche or it's not wrapped up uh, in a satisfactory way but if done correctly stories like this can really like be a home run at the end mm-hmm. uh, depending on how the non-linear timelines are handled so that's what I'm going to be curious about and what I'm excited to move forward with after seeing that uh, the firing squad is uh, just by the wayside at this point so that'll, that'll be cool to read moving forward um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a lot of final thoughts. I'm excited to finish reading it again. Um, I think that with the the announcement of the Netflix special, like I'm especially interested in refreshing. I'm so excited. Yeah, I just don't even know. My, when, did they say I don't when? Know how? I don't. I know. think it was no. like next year. Next year, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna okay. be a while. We'll do a follow up. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to incorporate all of the detail here unless like I feel like the only way that I could see doing it is literally like 40 pages of this is one season Mm -hmm. like I don't even yeah it's so there's so much do they do it by like by like generation or like do they do it by event or you know they're like a hundred million ways that they could do this and or do they literally just do like snapshots it's gonna need to be a split screen of a family tree just there the whole time (laughs) there's a quick pause they bring it up just for your reference for your reference you made me laugh so hard here's this a few like a week ago we were we were texting about this uh and brian said we i think we'd read maybe i don't know 150 pages uh and brian was like I think I've checked the family tree more times than number of pages that I've read. <laughs> and I just, I, that just rang very true. It, yeah, it was, uh, it seemed like an over-exaggeration. It was not. <laughs> it was not. I also, just side note, before we leave without saying this, I had forgotten about, like, I, I knew going into this, I'm like, oh, guys, there's lots of characters that have the same names. I forgot about the part on the family tree where it literally just says 17 Orleanos. Yep. <laughs> just. There were 17 of them here at one point. At one point. From one guy also. Colonel, when, when Aureliano. That's not including the, the the ones that have like actual. Right. Colonel yeah. Orleano. No. Yeah. Just, no, this is just 17 Orleanos. Orleanos. He just like <laughs> sowed his wild oats while he was in the army and had seven. And, and just named them all Aureliano. Um, and we do know details about them, though. That's the thing. Yeah. It's not like, uh, yeah, I don't know. My favorite, one of my favorite parts. I, well, I know we have, we're almost done, but <laughs> I, I remember. I forgot to bring this up. I, it, this was almost like, um, like a, what is it called? Breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> like it sounded like the author talking to us directly when at one point someone is born and they decide to name them, um, and I think it's Ursula who says. They decided to name him only Jose Arcadio in order to avoid any confusion. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, is this the only instance you're concerned about that? Because there are a lot of other instances. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Well, I'll also say just for the 17 Orleanos thing, because technically we've been there. Right when we learn that there's 17 of them, it also uh, continues further on that they all die yeah it's immediately like oh there are 17 of them they all died before we talk about them really <laughs> yeah, at all but it's like it's... okay <laughs> sounds just good. for further confusion yeah. yeah i don't know it'll it'll definitely be interesting and and while the the book has been confusing it's it's been enjoyable and i, I just you know it, it's so unconventional that it's hard to predict where it will go so that, that'll be fun yeah yeah well awesome 
Thanks, Danny, guests. for uh, for part one of your discussion. I, I think we did discuss for our next book because we've been talking about what books we're doing next. Uh, I think the next one after this, we're going to bring a fourth person into the fold, and I'm just putting it on recording now to make sure that this actually happens. But we're going to be holding doing, him accountable. Yeah, so, so we're going to be doing a Kurt Vonnegut book, and we'll probably be back next week with what that Details. book's actually going to be but that was the uh, that was the contract that we signed yeah. is that it has to be a Kurt Vonnegut novel and then the the contract among the rest of us that it has to be one that none of us had read so yes uh, so that's going to be upcoming in the future and then after that we'll have another segment of uh, one book each for all of us and that'll be a total of seven then we'll just kind of see where it goes from there but that's the plan moving forward that's what we're going to be doing uh, so We'll be back whenever the next episode is. What's the next holiday, guys? Easter? Um, we'll do it. Probably. We'll do a part two on Easter. <laughs> we're, we're <gonna> do it. <laughs> Hopefully and, it's not and, that late. Yeah, and, we and Easter episode. But yeah, we will uh, be back with part two. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining Beer Time with Books. Bye. Beep-a-doo-bop. <laughs> <laughs> it's bum, back. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs>